If you want, you can turn in your Bibles or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. There was a woman who was bitten by a rabid dog. She went to the hospital and, well, it wasn't going well and it didn't look like she was going to make it. So the doctor said to her, he says, you might want to get all your things in order, get your will written and things like that. So uh, she took a piece of uh, a pad and some... Uh, you know, pads of paper and a pen, and she was writing down, and she was writing furiously, and she just kept on writing. And the doctor says, man, that is some kind of a will you're writing up there. She says, oh, no, no, this is not a will. This is all the people I plan to bite. (laughs) Have you ever let bitterness get inside you for certain people? So much so that you hold an account, and you know which ones have hurt you, which ones have wronged you, which ones you're mad at, which ones you're angry with. Which ones you're not willing to forgive? We're going to talk about some of that here today. The last couple of weeks, as we've been on this series of how we can change conditions that have continued in our life for a long time, and they don't seem to go away, or when they have gone away, they don't go away for very long. We saw from the story that Jesus told that it seems that he was expecting more of a change to keep those conditions from coming back. We saw that with the man who had the demon cast out. And the spirit came back. He did find some changes, but not enough to keep him out. And the spirit came back with seven more spirits, more, uh, more evil than he was. And the, worst, the last day of that man was worse than the first, Jesus said. We talked about how anxiety and worry and fear can bring about bad things in our life. If you're up on Facebook here this morning, we put that little reminder up there about uh, writing down some praise reports. What has God done for you in that area of uh, anxiety, fear, worry? Has it it helped change you? Have you been able to to stay focused on that and keep that out of your life the way that it had been before? We talked about being glad in the Lord always. Those two things we've been focusing on. Last Sunday, I told you we're going to tell you about two more things that will also change your life if you'll put them into practice. In John or Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, this is in your outline, you need to turn there. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is one of the things that the devil does. He is an accuser and he stands before God. God, before, before God, and accuses the believers of things that they've done. All the time he does it. I don't see that it's had any success, but he's not deterred. He keeps going. He says, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before, God, our, before our God day and night has been cast down. So up to a certain point, he was allowed to continue but the time came, he was cast down. That's one of his jobs is, I say one of the jobs he sees anyway, as being an accuser. He's an accuser of the brethren. Now turn over to John chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 2. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? 
This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Now look at this story. They come to Jesus with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. We've talked about this before, but just in case you haven't been here on, on that one. If you catch a woman in the act of adultery, what have you also caught? A man who is lacking from this picture. The man is not present, only the woman. Why? Because the man set the woman up. All these folks conspired against her and they brought her into this act of adultery, but she's the only one they wanted. They let him go scot-free. If anyone comes to you and says, we caught this one in the act of adultery and they only bring one, you can act like Jesus did and know something is up. Something is up. But look at what they're doing here. They first off accuse her, don't they? They accuse her on a, on, or for the purpose that they might accuse him. So they first catch her doing something against the law of Moses and accuse her before Jesus so that they can accuse Jesus before the people. Whose work are they doing? Let's go on and read in here. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to him, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So get the scene here. They're all asking, what are we going to do? What should we do? Moses' law says we should do this. It says we should stone her. And, and uh, what do you say? And they feel like they got him because of the, if he says stone her, then the people won't like him as much. And if he says, uh, no, let's not do what Moses said. Well, now you're not li- living up to the law of Moses. They feel like they got him. We don't care which way you go. We got you. And they just want to throw this question out. This is much like our news media does today. They don't ask questions for the purpose of getting information. They ask questions to try and get you. And we've seen that done with many a business, many a person, many a believer, many people. They're not trying to get to the truth of something. They're just trying to expose something one way or the other. They don't care which way you go. They got it set up so they can, they can get you either way. But they kept asking him, what are we going to do with her? And he's not answering them. Do get this from Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of things you get from Jesus. This is one of them. Just because someone asks you a question does not mean you have to answer them. You are under no obligation to answer anyone who asks you a question. Because they may not be asking the question in the right way. If Jesus does not answer, can they hold him or can they accuse him for his answer? No, and they're not asking a question to get information. They're asking a question to catch somebody in something. And if that's going on, you have no responsibility to answer. Well, I need to tell them the truth. No, you don't. I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, where do you stand on this issue? And all they want to do is get you one way or the other. Why do you need to answer that? They don't care where you stand. They don't care for the truth that makes you stand there. All they want to do is throw accusations. And if they do that, why should you need to answer? Don't feel like you always got to. Jesus did not always answer every question that was thrown his way. So he gets down in the sand and he starts writing some stuff. How would you like to live around a bunch of sand? 
You wouldn't get as dirty. Just right in the sand. Now, if you do it, try that in dirt, it doesn't work as well. They just stooped down in the sand, started writing some stuff. And they continued asking him. They kept asking. What are we going to do with this? Jesus is ignoring them. So they keep asking the question. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now most people have assumed that what he's writing is maybe different sins that these guys have done. Maybe some of the sins that were involved in getting this woman to this place to begin with. And one by one, they began to leave. I kind of think it's something along the lines of what they did to get this woman here. Because one by one, they left. And after a while, they were all gone. Now look what Jesus does. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the, to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Now remember, if she was caught in the very act of adultery, they probably didn't give her time to dress. So she's not, maybe she has a sheet wrapped around her or something. If that, they were not kind to this woman. And Jesus is left alone with her. His concern is for her above all things. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? They were her accusers. They weren't his. <laughs> they were hers. Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. She's looking right at him. No one. She doesn't see him as being an accuser. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So these people did the work of the devil, basically. They were an accuser of the brethren. They were one who comes and accuses. And this is what the devil does. He goes about accusing. There's a reason why we're getting into this, and it has to do with some things. We're, we're just building the, setting the stage here just right now. So a woman is found, brought and accused. They found her, they brought her, and they accused her. Now, is what they say correct? Was she caught in adultery? Well, apparently she's not saying that she wasn't. She's not saying that she was... Anything contrary to it. it seems what they said was correct. But is what they say right? Just because you say correct information doesn't mean what you're saying is right. What they're saying is wrong. Because their purpose is to catch someone who has truth into something they can frame as a lie. That's their purpose. What they're trying to do is, is wrong. So since what they're trying to do is wrong, what they're doing here, what they're saying, is wrong as well. Put this in your outline for you. The acceptability of what they say is lost because of what they lost sight of. They lost sight of people. They lost sight of the care that God has, the love God has for people. They lost sight of that. Jesus didn't. Remember what Jesus taught? Take the log out of your own eye. Had they done that? Apparently not, since whatever Jesus wrote in the sand brought them into conviction and they left. They didn't take the log out of their own eye first. Now look what Jesus does here. It does four things. Jesus brings first off perspective. 
He brings perspective. He brings it to them. Look at the things you have done. He was without sin, throw the first stone. Okay, you can go ahead and stone if you want to, but if, if you're not without sin, I don't think it's a good idea. He brings freedom. He brought freedom for this woman from the accusers. He brought liberty. Liberty from the accusation. There is no one there who to accuse her, and she had liberty from this accusation. Here's the last one. She, Jesus brought hope. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. The words of Jesus bring hope, not condemnation. He will say some things to show you what is wrong in what you're doing, but he doesn't sit there and condemn you with it. The ministry of Jesus is not to accuse or to condemn. Now, I'll put this out here in your outline for you, and you tell me if this is not true. Accusers are angry and bitter. Is that not true? Have you know people that just go around accusing people? Are they not angry and bitter people? Yeah. That's what accusers are. Now, we're, we're supposed to be believers. I put this in your outline for you. This is from Lisa Bevere. She posted this on Facebook some time ago. Love believes the best, which differs vastly from demanding the best. Isn't that good? Love believes the best, which differs vastly from demanding the best. Let's learn to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We all know it as the love chapter. Here's verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Can those, will those uh, descriptions fit the people who came and accused the woman? Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Does that fit our accusers? No, they're, they're rejoicing in iniquity. We found this woman caught in adultery. We got this opportunity to bring this before Jesus. Here's a, here's a big one. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What does that? Love. Where is love? In the believer. As a believer, God has put his love inside of you. In any way, does one who is an accuser come under this description? Do you not have to let go of this description in its entirety in order to become an accuser? Can you see the problem when we become, as believers, when we become accusers? That's not a good thing. Now, I have a couple other translations. This one comes from the Amplified. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. How many of you? Yeah, that's me. Love is not provoked, nor overly sensitive. This is in print. This is describing that word provoked. Nor overly sensitive and easily angered. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you have become overly sensitive or that you are easily angered? That's not love, is it? 
It does not take into account a wrong endured. Does an accuser. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth. Or in parentheses, when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. Hopes all things, remaining steadfastly or steadfast during difficult times. Endures all things. So I missed part of this. Let me go back to the beginning of verse 7. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. Believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Is an accuser looking for the best? What's an accuser trying to do? Find the worst. Isn't that opposite of what God does? Love, which is God's nature, is put on the inside of you. When it is, you will look for the best in others. When the accuser comes in, what's he fill you with? Let's find the worst. Let's believe the worst that we can. That hopes all things, endures all things. Here's another translation for you. This is the New Living. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. How many can say amen? If you believe, not saying that you are, I'm saying if you believe that you are irritable until you have whatever it is that you need to have, breakfast, food, orange juice, coffee, whatever it might be, and you are irritable until you get that, you are saying, I am not filled with the love of God until I partake of. Is that a good thing to be saying? You are always filled with the goodness of God. Regardless of what time of day. Regardless of how much you slept. Regardless of what people have done to you. Or what you have had time to drink or eat. You are always filled with the good things of God. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I want to read one more verse for you. This is from another translation. This is verse 7 from the Williams translation. You can follow along up there on the screen and see the difference. It bears up under anything. It exercises faith in everything. It exercises hope in everything. It gives us power to endure anything. I like that one. That was, that was good. You can't find Williams digitally. You have to you know, only find it in print. So anytime I bring that over, I actually have to type it in. But that's worthwhile on that one. It bears up under anything. It exercises faith in everything. It exercises hope in everything. It gives us power to endure in anything. Now, if you were Satan, just picture yourself, you know, if you were Satan, you were on the other side. Wouldn't it be a goal of yours to pull someone out of the area of love and into the area of accusations? What you do? I put this in your outline for you. Isn't the goal of Satan evident in his temptation of you with the role to be an accuser? Whose work are you fulfilling? 
Now, just think about this. And we've all heard it. We've all had this type of a voice come in. What if you are involved at work and the Spirit of God comes up to you and He says to you about that person that you're working with, Hey, Matt, did you see what they did? They're trying to get you fired. Doesn't he do stuff like that? Maybe you're involved in something for the work of God. Maybe you're on the worship team. And you're up there in the worship team. You're all worshiping together. The Spirit of God. Listen to the Spirit of God saying this. Can you, can you see this? Vanessa. They're not playing it right. <laughs> you have the right way to play it. You need. And he begins to speak things. Can you see that happening? They're singing out of tune. They should be off the team. Does the Spirit of God whisper things like this? Who does things like this? We're back there. We're in the visitor ministry. As we're in the visiting ministry, are Ross standing back in there? You're not supposed to be on today, are you? Someone didn't show up. They're not very faithful. Can you see stuff like that happen in church? Can you see stuff like that happen in your life? What's it get you doing? does this? The accuser of the brethren. He comes and he accuses and he whispers in our ear. Did you see what she made for dinner last night? You know you hate that. She must be mad at you. That's why she made it. And these thoughts begin to come in. And we don't bother to ask we just begin to think about the accusation. How did Jesus handle the accusation? To them, he ignored them. Ignored the accusations. I don't listen to this. need to listen to this. And he went on. And don't think we as Christians are above this. I've had some of the best accusations come at me from Christians. Some of them may have been just and deserved. Some of them may not have been. I don't know. I've gone back on, on some of them because, you know, sometimes the enemy likes to come along and he likes to say, remember what they did to you? They were wrong. <laughs> it gets you to think about all that and harbor up bitterness and anger and all that kind of stuff begins to come on up. You know, when I was an assistant pastor, there was a pastor I was serving every once in a while uh, after I'd been there a few years, he would go away for something and he would be gone on a Sunday morning and he would turn the service and the, the whole thing over to me and I would be, be running the service. One particular Sunday, I was running the service and during the worship time, 
I felt that we needed to go in a certain direction. And if we could get the church as a whole to go in a certain direction, there was something that God had for us in the area of healing. And so um, I saw what I was supposed to do, what I felt like I was supposed to do. Again, I can miss it. And so I started to, to lead the church to go in this direction. And there was a particular elder who was always in a power struggle, particularly with me, and stood up in the church and said, I don't think this is God. In the middle of church. Now, see, I'm, I'm just out of school, too. I'm only a couple years out of school. I don't know a whole lot. And, uh, you know, when you go to work, when I came out of Rainbow, what that they told us to do is to say, you know, go find a church, get involved, that they can apprentice you and, and help you to develop. So I got involved in this particular church, and they didn't pay me anything at first. I was doing things. I was over there. I was in 10, 20 hours a week, then 30 hours a week, and more and more. Eventually, they brought me on staff. I didn't ask them to bring me on staff, but they brought me on staff. And so I was on staff for 10 hours a week. I was on staff for 15 hours a week, then eventually 20 hours a week. But they brought me on staff. Now, this is in the 80s. They brought me on staff, and they paid me $6.25 an hour. I worked, ten, I worked for them 10 hours a week. That's $60 and whatever else it worked out to be. Um, I actually put in, when they were paying me for, for 10 hours, I was putting in 30 to 40 hours of time at the church. So if you actually multiply that out, you, you, it was a bit, somewhere around $2 an hour, a little bit less than that, um, that I was getting paid. So obviously you're not there for the money. I gave up time at a job that paid me over $10 an hour plus overtime, and I had all the overtime I wanted. They loved paying me overtime. Loved it. Ever have a job and they say, we can't do overtime. Can't do overtime. 40 hours, you know, 45 hours, that's about it, and they, they cut it. I had 60, 65, 70 hours some week overtime. was was, uh, you know, 30, 20, 30 hours. And they never balked at it. As much time as I wanted, they would give me. And so when they came and they said, we want you for more time, I took time away from this job that was paying me for every hour I was there and a lot more money to work for these guys. And then one time, they didn't tell me they did this. I found out on my own. <laughs> they said, we're going to increase your pay. And they increased my pay and cut my hourly wage down to $5 an hour. So you're not there for the money. That's not why you're there. You're there to learn some things. And so this particular Sunday, I was leading the church in a direction that I felt God. Again, I could have missed it. I'm not saying that I was infallible or that what I was doing was right. I'm just saying I was doing what at the time I thought was correct and in line with what the pastor would have wanted. So at the end of the service, we had this conflict with his elder. So at the end of the service, after I stood at the door and greeted people for a bit, I saw him and I said, well, you meet me in my office. And so we met in my office and I told him, you know, I, this, is, this is where I felt God was going. What were you seeing? And I let him speak about what was he. And we, we had this time to discuss this thing and right after the service. And we went on from there. And that was about it. Until about a week or two later, I forget how long it was, I was standing before the entire elder board and being lambasted for what I had done in the service. Now, here was the thing. I, did, I, was, I was young and stupid, so I didn't know some of the things. I've since learned what I should have done in that situation. 
and wished I would have done what I know I should have done at that time. But I didn't do it. I just, I just sat there and I let them say their, their piece and say their stuff. And they blessed me this way and that way. But here was the thing. The pastor wasn't there. I served the pastor. All the pastor had to do, all the pastor had to do was walk 10 steps from his desk to my office door, knock on my door and say, Steve, I understand that service went this way. I don't want you to do it that way anymore. And I would have said, fine. Because it's your vision. God has given you ultimate responsibility. If I am doing something you don't want done, I will stop it. I don't care if God told me to do it. I don't care if I feel like God told me to do it. That's all you had to do. But this particular pastor decided to drive across town and meet with this elder, drive across town the other way and meet with this elder, and drive over here and meet with this elder, and never walk 10 steps out of his office to come to my door. And what I should have realized at that point was the thing that you want to get from this church, which is to be apprenticed and to be taught what to do and what not to do, you are not going to get. If I would have learned that sooner, I would have done better. I didn't learn it. And I stayed and got a few more stomps before I got out of there. If you ever wonder why our church government is a little bit different than it is in some churches that you're at, why we do so much in the church meeting, why we do so much as far as direction and where we're going in the church meeting with everybody here, it's because of what I came out of. I came out of a church that was run by an elder board and a deacon board, and I saw how bad it was firsthand. And it was not a good situation. I've heard other churches and seen other places, and it's not a good situation. And, and I don't know if you all know this. We haven't talked about this in a long time. But the position of elder in the United States is unscriptural. It is not in Scripture. I didn't say the position of elder in the Bible. I said the position of elder in the United States, in the churches in the United States. It is unscriptural. An elder is not a person who serves on the board to tell the pastor what to do. Nor is an elder a person who serves on a board, period. An elder in the New Testament church is a pastor. Because the way they had churches in the city of Ephesus, in the city of Corinth, was they had churches in home meetings because they didn't have a big place to meet. The Jewish temple wouldn't have them in it. There was no other place to have a big church. So a person like Timothy was a bishop over the elders who were the pastors of the home groups in the church. And so we are taking the position of elder in the body of Christ here in the United States and we are putting a brand new position and giving a definition by what the Bible gives to a pastor and we wonder why we have problems. Well, that's just a side note. We weren't supposed to get into all that sort of stuff. But you see, regardless of whether I was right or whether I was wrong, there were certain things that, that, that you could do and certain things to, to not. Here's the, here's the thing. I don't know, you probably have had this happen in your life. Have you ever had people in your life who just believed the best about you? I mean, no matter what happened, they just believed that you had good intentions behind whatever it was you did, whether it was good, whether it was bad. And when you have those people in your life, how many you could not wait to get around them? You just love, can I, I want to get around this person because I feel so much better when I'm around this person. This is good. I have a great example for you. If you don't have that, 
because I was pondering this and said, who, who can I think of to tell you to think about? And here's what, here's what came to me. Have you ever been around a, I'm not just being, talking about being around once in a while, but had continual contact with a two or a three-year-old? Continual contact with a two or three-year-old, whether they are your son or daughter, whether they are your grandchildren, whether they are uh, friends' children, two or three-year-old, to the point where that person, that two or three-year-old, got comfortable with you. Aren't they glad to see you? When you when you look at that two or three, we're not talking four or five. I'm not sure about four or five just yet. <laughs> I've heard some things about four or five, but two and three, two and three. Don't they just look at you like you are the best? You are just the greatest person in my life. I just so enjoy being around you. And how does that make you feel when you get around that two or three-year-old? Man, I had a hard day at work. Come here. Come here. And they come over and they just give you a hug. And what does that make you feel like? I mean, they don't even say any words. They just give you the hug. What do you feel like? Oh, oh this is so worth it. What if we could maintain that attitude when we were in our 20s, in our 30s, in our 40s? Folks, if you want a picture of 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, 6, and 7, look at a two-year-old. Look at a three-year-old. Because they will show you what that kind of love is like. If you slip up and make a mistake, what do they say? Almost every one of them. That's okay. Do they remember it later on? Not in, if they do, it's not in a bad way. Because they just love you. Can't wait to be around you. Before twos and threes, you know they're not talking as much. It's when they get to that area where they're talking and they're communicating well. Oh, they can just convey that love. Now think of that two or three-year-old. If somebody came over and whispered to them an accusation against you, what would they do? I can picture it. I don't know if you can. I can picture, I can picture them cowering from the words that they're hearing and looking to move away from the source of that one who said these things and come back over to the one even that they accused and grabbing hold of a leg, hanging on somehow. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure what they're saying. I'm not sure why they're saying it. I just know I love you. And they come over despite what was being said. Now, if we could start doing that when the accuser of the brethren comes and whispers in our ear something about our spouse, something about our neighbor, something about our coworker, something about people in church. If the accuser of the brethren comes to us and we treat it the way a two or three-year-old would be, 
Now, wouldn't it be great if there was a scripture that you could hang on to for this? Well, doggone it, there isn't one. Doesn't the Word of God tell us, in malice, be as... <laughs> isn't that the exact same principle? In malice, be as babes. You try and insult a baby. Go on over there. Go over to Vincenzo right now. Try and insult him. Go ahead. He'll just smile at you. If he's hungry, he'll cry, but not because of what you're saying. I'll sit there and smile at you while you say all kinds of matter of evil things. Not that you would, but if you did. In malice, be his babes. I love listening to, he tells the story often, but uh, Brother Keith Moore, I listen to him, and he talks to people, and he, he, he mentions this, this verse, in malice be his babes, and he says, because uh, he's a public figure, and people can come up with reasons to not like him. He's had meetings, and he says, and people come to, I don't like you. He just smiles and he says, that's because you don't know me. <laughs> when you get to know me, you'll like me. <laughs> that just makes him matter. He just <laughs> but he'll say sometimes that a, a person on staff, after they have this conversation, they'll look at him and say, don't you know they were talking about you? They were saying all those things about you? No, they weren't saying that about me. And whether he picked up on it or whether he didn't, he just let it go. Oh, how much better would things be if we could do stuff like that. Let me show you some of the consequences. I again turned to the internet and did a little search and looked at the effects of conditions like bitterness. Because when you let accusations of other people, of your spouse, of your coworkers, of your neighbors, of your friends, of people that you worship with, people that you serve with, if you let accusations come into your ears and entertain them, bitterness will come in. What happens when bitterness comes into your life? I put some of this in your outline. I did not put it all. But adverse changes in metabolism, trying to lose weight, if you affect your metabolism in a bad way, how many of y'all know that's going to fight against you? Bitterness can keep you at a weight you don't want. Whether it's too thin or too big. No matter. Messes with your metabolism. Bitterness does. you believe that? I didn't just see this on one site. Saw this in quite a few. Your immune system. It will mess with your immune system. Seems like a lot of things mess with your immune system that you're not supposed to be involved with. It messes with organ function. In the short term, bitterness may actually boost self-esteem by allowing us to blame others for our problems. And don't people do that? They have low self-esteem and they keep constantly blaming other people. Well, you're the reason. Well, if it wasn't for you doing this, well, if and we blame other people because bitterness will do this for you. Bitterness and resentment causes imbalance in the hormones from the various glands of the body producing many physical symptoms and diseases. Causes fatigue and loss of sleep. Soon your eyes and facial features reflect your inner distress. When I was contemplating bitterness before I looked it up, I said, Father, what are some of the things that bitterness can cause in me if I allow that? One of the things, and I didn't find it on every site, but I found it on a few, is even your skin. Your skin. Came up right in my spirit and I found it in a few, few places. 
It'll affect you, affect you that way. Now, it's not the only thing that will affect you there, but it can. Soon your eyes and facial features reflect your inner distress. It takes emotional energy to maintain a grudge. When, you in, when your emotional energy is exhausted, you become depressed. Bitterness and resentment create an emotional focus toward the person who offended you. I did not even think of this one. When I'm contemplating things, I did not even think on this, on this one at all. But bitterness and resentment create an emotional focus toward the person who offended you. So think of the person who offended you. How much of your mind goes to that person in the course of a day or week? This focus causes you to become like the one you resent. Wow. The more you think about his or her actions, the more you begin to reflect the basic attitudes that prompted their actions to begin with. All right, here's a fun one. You can even pass this quality on to your children. If you constantly are in bitterness, your children pick up on it and they carry it on. They, they see what you do. Bitterness. If you get bitter, it's going to hurt you. It doesn't help the situation at all. But it is going to hurt you. Remember last week we told you they are going to give you two more things to focus on. Two more things to focus on. Stop being an accuser or letting those things get inside you. If the accuser of the brethren comes and whispers in your ear, Don't pay him any attention. Now, how long has he been doing this in heaven? I mean, it has to be a long time, right? How much success do you think he has had accusing the brethren in front of God? How many think he's had lots of success? How many think he's had a little bit of success? Who thinks he has had no success? Some of you don't think anything. If he's had no success, he still keeps doing it, which means he is undeterred. He actually enjoys accusing people. Because you don't do something you don't enjoy unless you get results. He must actually enjoy doing this. So he's going to keep coming at you. He's going to keep whispering things, especially if you give him encouragement. If he can sow seeds of discord between you and your spouse, between you and your neighbor, between you and your coworker, between you and your boss, between you and people in church or people that you minister with, if he can cause this to go on, oh, how much more is he going to do it? Bitterness, folks. Don't let bitterness get down on the inside of you. You've got to chase it out. You are not made to handle bitterness. Now, I had a conversation with a, a doctor friend I have. And uh, uh, she actually told me some things that this article I was reading reinforced. I'd never heard of it before she told me. And then, you know, a week or two later, I'm reading it here. It was uh, was kind of interesting in that. But one of the things that uh, that goes on, have I read it yet? I don't know if I just, um, I think I just kept it uh, in my, my head to read off to you and not put it in here. So if I come upon it again. We'll read it again. But when you pull in things like 
bitterness and some other feelings and you bring them in, it actually sets off hormones on the inside of you and things that you should not carry around in your body. These things are not good. In fact, here it is. I did find it in here. Okay. This is under, this is under anger. This is the other thing. Uh, when people come and accuse you and the devil comes and puts accusations in your ear, doesn't it make you angry? Don't you get angry at that spouse for leaving these things around? For not completing this? Or not doing this? Don't we get angry? Don't we get angry at co-workers? When they do things? We think they do things? So here it is. Anger triggers the body's uh, fight or flight response. How many have ever heard that before? A couple of people in the medical areas I see. I hadn't heard that terminology before until two weeks ago when I was talking with this doctor friend of mine. Anger triggers the body's fight or flight response. Other emotions that trigger this response include fear, excitement, and anxiety. The adrenal glands flood the body with stress hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol. The brain shunts blood away from the uh, that's it. The brain shunts blood away from the gut and towards the muscles in preparation for physical exertion. So it puts you into a, 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 a ready. I am ready to take something on. And everything goes from the gut over to the muscles because we are preparing the muscles for battle. Heart rate, blood pressure, respiration increased. The body temperature rises. Skin perspires. The mind is sharp and focused. But you see, if you eat in a state like this, the body's not sending functionality to the gut to digest. It's sending it all to the muscles. And so you'll have digestive orders, disorders. Because folks, you're not supposed to be carrying this stuff around. God did not make it that way. He didn't make it that way. She was telling me about these things, these uh, hormones that are, that are uh, brought up. And I looked at her and shocked her. I've never heard of anything like this. I've never felt anything like this. is all new to me. I heard, and she says, well, you're not going to feel it because on a daily basis, you're out running or doing something that burns it up. I said, you burn up more of this stuff than your body could ever produce. So if you want to go out there and run, or, or basically, that will burn up some of this stuff. But the thing is, this is the, it wasn't in the article, but this is what she was telling me to do. She says, a lot of times people eat while they are doing things like driving and fighting traffic and your body is now in a fight mode, not a digestive mode. And so you eat and your body is not able to focus on the digestion. It's focused on the fight. And all these extra hormones are produced and you're not burning them off and it messes with your body and it causes some problems. But see, God told you not to do it. And he gave you a way to not do it. And if you followed God's way, you never would have found any of that stuff out. The only reason we find this stuff out is because we disobeyed. Don't do what God said to do. Now, if you're going to eat, folks, the best thing to do is just sit on down and eat. Get all that stuff. No emails. No text messages. Just sit on down. And eat. My, my wife and I, we've done the thing for lunch. We've done this for a long time. We, I'm usually home. Most of the days I'm home and I'm not out delivering or down here at church. And so we, uh, we record the shows that we like to watch on TV. And then uh, we put them on a DVR. 
And so we go down and we have, uh, we'll stop the work that we're doing and we come on in and we sit down on the sofa and we've done this for, for many years. Never knew there was any medical thing to it at all. We sit down there on the sofa and we watch a show that we both enjoy. Sit there and watch the show we both enjoy and to just eat and then, you know, we finish the lunch before the show's over. Sit there and finish watching the show and then when it gets done, then we get up and we go back to doing whatever work we were doing. So we were always relaxed when we were eating. Didn't know that it had any kind of medical benefit or any kind of thing at all. But it's apparently a good thing to do. Don't eat when all that stuff is going on. Get yourself in a place where you can, you can relax. It's just not good for you. But you see, anger is not a good emotion to have in, in you either. So some of the short-term health problems that have been linked to unmanaged anger. I, don't, I didn't put these in your outline, did I? I did put these in your outline. All right. Wasn't sure which one I, I left in or not. Headache. Digestive problems. And we already talked about why that is. Such as abdominal pain. Insomnia. Increased anxiety. Depression. High blood pressure. Skin problems such as uh, eczema. Eczema. Heart attack. Stroke. Now, I found this one out in another article. Did, they did a whole study on I read the entire study that was done on this. It can even harm your lungs. Specifically, anger and the things that it does in your body can actually cause harm to your lungs. People who are stressed are more likely to experience anger. Numerous worldwide studies have documented that regular exercise can improve mood and reduce stress levels. This may be because physical exertion burns up stress chemicals and also boasts production of mood-regulating neurotransmitters. There's a fun word. In the brain, including endo- endorphins and something else that I have no idea what that is. begins with a C-A-T-E. You probably pick it up from there, huh? Ket- 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 chlor- chlor- chlorlamines? What is it? How do you say it? C-A-T-E-C-H-O-L. A minds. <laughs> what is it? I, I should be looking back at your way too. He's going to school for this stuff. I mean, he's going to be fresh on his mind. Thank you, Victor. Yes. These are things that are, are in there and, and you know, it's good to burn them off, but it's also good not to have them at the wrong time. It's good not to, not to do it. If you allow the accusations that are coming to your ears from the accuser of the brethren. doesn't have to be him specifically, the devil. We're just talking about the folks in his kingdom. You know, peons in his kingdom will come up here and do this. They know how to do it. And they begin to throw accusations. You don't even go and check them out. You just believe them. And you harbor those things. And you keep meditating on those things. And they cause you to distrust the people that are around you. To not like the people that are around you. To be angry with the people that are around you. To be bitter with the people that are around you. And the people that God has put in your life to help you. There's a wall between you and them. And they can't help. And everything that they say now. Well, I wonder what they really meant. I wonder what their real motivation is for doing this. Pretty soon we don't need the accuser of the brethren to come and make accusations at all. We are real good at coming up with them ourselves. And we live in a constant state of accusations. If bitterness and anger are a big part of your life, 
more than likely, accusations have gotten in and have become a part of your life. And you need to kick them out. I am not living my life with these accusations constantly being whispered in my ear. I am not listening to them. I rebuke them. Laugh at them. Just sit there and laugh at them. <laughs> That's funny. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what, folks. The accuser of the brethren, he is, he is coming after you. He will constantly come after you. But the Word of God says, and I'm just giving you one thing, out of all the things there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4, 5, 6, and 7. If you would just focus on this one thing and get this one down and then start working on the other ones. But I'm going to give you one right here out of this list. If you will, as a practice, believe the best in the people that are around you. If as a practice, you will have faith in the people that are around you. Not doubt, not sit there and say, well, I, I think their motive is wrong. I don't think they're doing this right. I don't think God's using it. I don't, if, you, if you stop that, just put a block on that and just believe the best about your spouse. Believe the best about your kids. Believe the best about your boss. Believe the best about your coworkers. Whenever something comes in and says, get you to, my, that's not the best. They don't have the best, your best interest in mind. Kick it out. Word of God says what? Believe the best. Amplified version. Believe the best. Love believes all things. Or believe the best in other people. If you will do that, you will not leave room for any accusation. Because an accusation believes the worst in a person. And the Bible says to believe the Amplified Version, believe the best. Believe the best. Believe that people are good. People will disappoint you. How many of you have people that disappoint you? I got people all over the place. All through my life they've disappointed. They've not measured up. They haven't done some things that you'd want them to do. You'd like to see this go on. You'd like to see that go on, but it's not. All kinds of disappointments that go on. It is up to you whether you're going to live in that anger, in that bitterness, or if you're going to let it go. Now, one of the things you've got to do, especially the people that are close to you, your spouse is not the reason that you are angry and bitter. In fact, we ought to just say that. Everybody say, you don't have a spouse, then you can put somebody else in there. My boss, my... Uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it might be. You can just put that in there, but we're going to say it out loud. Ready? My spouse is not the reason for my anger or bitterness. Now, you need to say that self to you every once in a while and just come on, because that's just true. If you, if you believe something different, you are going against the Word of God. They are not responsible for your anger and bitterness. You are. No one else can bring anger and bitterness in your life except for you. No one. I don't care how stupid that spouse is. They cannot make you angry and they cannot make you bitter. They just can't do it. Now the best example I ever had of someone who nothing got him angry. Nothing. I never saw anything got him bitter. It was my grandfather. My mother's, my mother's father. We called him Papa. 
I never saw him angry in my life except one time. One time I saw him angry. I remember exactly where I was. I remember who was around. And I remember what we were doing. That's how significant this was in my life. We were sitting around. We were doing something. My sister and I, my older sister and I, were sitting on the porch at a house we always rented down at the shore on Asbury Avenue. And we were there on Asbury Avenue. We were sitting on the on the, this nice little bed they had out there, and they had these two uh, porch, covered porch, and, and two beds on the end. And at nighttime, we would sleep on them. But in the daytime, my grandfather parked himself out there, and I just observed all the things were going on. So we were playing Chinese checkers, or we were doing something with him out there on the, on there. And we were messing with each other. We were, you know, fighting with each other. We were doing something we shouldn't have been doing with each other. I do remember. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we were doing something. And I remember him telling me, now stop it. And he slapped me on the back. Man, the only time I ever saw him angry. I saw people do things, people said things, I heard things that were done to him, never saw him bitter, never saw him angry. People took advantage of him all the time in the shop. I heard the stories of people taking advantage of him in the shop. People stole from him. Never saw him angry, never saw him bitter. Anger and bitterness are in our life because we brought it. No one gave it to us. We brought it. And you can just as quickly get rid of it as you did bringing it in. You got people in your life and they make changes. They do things at your job. They do things and whatever it is that you're involved with and changes come we can get angry and we can get bitter but it doesn't help the situation does it how many this week last week whatever week it was got angry at ABC for canceling the best show on TV (laughs) last man standing they actually don't have the power to cancel it you ought to be glad about that they don't own the show it was just licensed to them. Someone else owns the show. And as far as I can tell, they're still going to be making the show. Anybody else out here? Last Man Standing, best show on TV. I have, oh, I have so much fun watching that show. We look forward to that show coming on. We even like the reruns. It's just, uh, it's just fun. Anger and bitterness are in your life, folks, because you decided you wanted it. Because you wanted to believe the accusations and did not want to believe the best anymore. And when you stop believing the best in people, what do people tend to do? They stop hanging around. They stop seeking you out. You look at it this way. You take that two or three-year-old, and if every time, how many know people like this? Every time that two or three-year-old sees certain people, they're angry, they're mean, They don't interact with them. They're not loving towards them. What does that two or three year old do after a while? I don't want to go over there. 
I don't want to go over there. They did initially, but they pulled back on it. Believe the best in people, and you know what? People will want to hang out with you. Stop being angry and stop being bitter, and you know what people will do? They'll want to hang out with you. I want to get around this person because every time I'm around this person, it's like all the anger and bitterness is in me just drains out. And I just feel so good. And it's just so, it's so nice. They like the atmosphere. Create that kind of atmosphere around you and people will flock to you. Why did people flock to Jesus? Because there wasn't anger, there wasn't bitterness, there wasn't condemnation. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. He wasn't here to accuse. What happens a lot of times when we hear an accusation? We want to go and say it to someone else. Did you hear? I don't think that what they're doing is right. I don't like what they're doing over here. Did you hear about this? Husbands and wives, we can go off to our friends and we can talk about our spouses. We can say all the things that the accuser has whispered in our ear. And it just drives us further away from them. And it gets us more anger, more bitter. You can do that with your friends. You can do that with your coworkers. You can do that with your bosses. Go around to other people that you feel are safe and talk about it and you'll get more angry and you'll get more bitter and you will hear more accusations. Stand up to them. Don't let the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, this is his job. He doesn't just have one job, but he does this job well. He is the accuser. He will continue to come and whisper accusations for the purpose of driving a wedge between you and others. So here's our focus here. First off, stay out of being an accuser with the accompanying qualities. Stay out of being an accuser. Don't listen to the accusations and don't repeat them. Stay out of being an accuser because if you do, all those qualities, bitterness, anger, all those things are going to come into your life. And of all the great qualities to have in 1 Corinthians 13, focus on believing the best in others. Now you can pick up all those other ones too and focus on them. That's great. I'm just trying to give you just a few things. We gave you two, two weeks ago. You had two weeks to work on them. Anybody here will attest that you have worked on them, improved them, and your life is better. Appreciate both of you. You got to focus on it. You got to get fear and anxiety out of your life. You got to be glad in the Lord always. That's up to you. No one else is going to do that for you. It's up to you. Stop listening to the accuser and don't be one. Get that out. Get it out. Be at war with it. And malice, be as babes. And focus on believing the best in everyone that you're around. The report comes to believe the worst, don't believe it. Believe the best. Believe the best. 
tell you what, folks, most times that you do this, you will find out that you were closer to being right, believing the best, than you would have been listening to the accuser. And how much trouble have you gotten into in the past when you have listened to the accusation that came into your ear? It wasn't true, but you acted on it like it was and found out later it wasn't. But you had already put things in motion based on it being true. You said things, you've done things, you thought things, you acted on, whatever. Oh, I tell you, don't we wish we could go back? Oh, I wish I would have checked this out. Do what the Bible says, we won't have that problem in the first place. Believe the best in every single person that God has put in your life. Believe the best. Don't listen to the accuser. Get the accuser out of your life. Kick him out. He has no part. The time will come and he will be kicked out of heaven. But you can keep him from getting inside. He's going to keep whispering in your ear, but you can keep him from getting inside. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we know the accuser of the brethren is all around us. We know that those in his kingdom follow his pattern and do as he says. And we constantly hear in the spirit realm as well as the natural accusations against those that are close to us, those that are important to us, those that you have put in our life. Father, we need to turn these accusations down from meditating on them. Do as the Word said, to think on good things, but certainly not the accusations that the enemy wants to bring up. With every head bowed right now, if you're here in this place and you say accusations have had a part in my life and anger and bitterness have worked their way in. But I want to turn that around here today. I want to get rid of anger, get rid of the bitterness, and all the accusations that keep coming my way. I want to go in a different direction and believe the best. Raise your hand. We'll pray for you here this morning. I'm not going to call you up. Just pray for you right where you're at. Father, you see the hands that have gone up. It's our acknowledgement to you that, Father, I see that this path is not your path, and I choose your path. I thank you, Father, for the changes that will come in their life. That as we kick out the accuser and believe the best in all those that are around us, we are happier. Being glad in the Lord is a whole lot easier. And bitterness and anger don't have their terrible work in us. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you gave us your word that tells us these things that we were not meant to handle, not meant to walk in, and will do us bodily harm if we do. But the enemy is trying to pull us in these directions because he knows the effect it will have. We want permanent change in our life. We've got to do things that your word said. We will follow your commands and we will obey them. And I thank you that this week that you point out to us every time that the accuser begins to bring up accusations against those that we need in our life. 
against those that were there to help, against those that are our friendly face. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hail glory to God. Oh, a couple of prayer reports if you have a moment of time here. Alexis, pastor has been teaching about anxiety and how to deal with it. I've had some challenges with my workload and I worked through it being thankful for my job, keeping my head up. Thank you. My diligence was rewarded with an award for great performance and going above and beyond the job. <laughs> That's nice. Additionally, this award had a monetary component, thanking God for always being with me and being my guide. Isn't that neat? That is good stuff right there. Ethel. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with, with Ethel right there at all. Ethel's writing is, is fine. She is very neat, in fact. I just need a little help. <laughs> then we have sound teaching on how to pray for someone. I was able to know how to pray for my dad. Um, so not to pray unscriptural things. It has kept me in a place of peace and not be concerned or frustrated. My dad told me what he was expecting, so I prayed the way he wanted and not the way I wanted. <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's a way we can go, isn't it? Uh, the Bacon's house sentiment went very smoothly. Or is this from before? No, this is a, I don't think this is from before. House sentiment went very smoothly. Our old home is now occupied by a great family with four young boys and, this is not on there, and a very large dog. <laughs> There's also a very large dog next door. They should get along fine. Alyssa, for about six months, I had pain in my shoulder from calcification. This week, something happened. I now have sharp pain hindering movement where my neck meets my shoulder. Due to my work schedule, I am unable to see doctor till Wednesday. I am not okay with living with this pain. <laughs> Short version, healing from pain in my neck and shoulder. So she wants prayer for that here today. And also Ethel wants prayer for um, my father who's having surgery tomorrow. That everyone who is involved touches him with gentleness and shows kindness the surgery accomplishes when he needs to have done and then he regains his strength. All right. Well, somebody, uh, Alyssa is back there in the, the nursery. Victor, can you uh, knock on the door, ask her to come on out? We'll pray for her. Uh, I told you I'd update you on, on Jim. Jim went in the hospital on Thursday. I got a call. This is real fun. I got a call from Pat, his wife, on his phone. You know something's wrong when Pat is calling you on Jim's phone because Jim usually always in possession of his phone. So he, they called and said, uh, Jim was out walking, had some pain in his chest when he came back, so we took him over to the hospital. And uh, They took him to the hospital. By the time they got there, there was no more pain. And uh, they said, well, we're going to keep him around for observation. So they kept him around for observation. And what they said was that triple A thing, what's it called? Aort. What's the third A? <laughs> Abdominal. That's right. Uh, uh, that is growing. And they, they, they're going to take it out sometime in the next month. They're going to surgically remove that part. But then he was also, I remember he was having all the sickness, all the throwing up and stuff he was doing. Well, they found a, um, I've seen this on some of the medical shows. I don't know a whole lot about it, but you get that, um, a mass of veins and it was in his GI tract. And so uh, this is what was causing some of the, or probably what was causing some of the nausea. So they uh, do say they need to, to surgically remove that, but I haven't heard anything about the plan for that. Jim is home. 
and um, he has to get the aspirin out of his system that he takes before he can uh, have surgery. So that's uh, what's going on there. So we'll be uh, keeping him in, in prayer. Lester, come on up. We got your prayer request for your shoulder. Oh, we guess who we saw. <laughs> all right. Oh, would y'all stand up one more time here with me? Glory to God. Which shoulder was it? All right. In the name of Jesus, let's just agree together. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just thank you for the healing power of God. In the name of Jesus, shoulder, we speak to you right now that everything that is out of alignment, everything that is weak, everything that is not the way it should be, that in Jesus' name you change right now. And the healing power of God restores what needs to be restored and fixes what needs to be fixed. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. What was going on with your shoulder? What, could you, what couldn't you do? Turning. How's turning now? A little farther. All right. A little sharpness. A little sharpness. In the name of Jesus, pain you have to go. You are not allowed in this body. Pain you have to go now. In Jesus' name, healing belongs to us. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. What's it doing now? More range, but it's just still that little bitty sharp there. All right. That needs to go away. Mm-hmm. So it's up here in the neck. That, yes. Yep. Pain, we so told you, you need to go. Mm-hmm. You have no place here. Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the healing power of God has already gone out into this body, and you have no place here anymore. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. Move it around some more. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. I'm getting farther than I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> In Jesus' name. Jesus name. Hallelujah. That's more, that's more than it was yeah. for four days now. <laughs> All right. Now, the Word of God does say in the, in the Bible that you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It does not always have to be instant, but it always does need to come. It needs to come. So it can be a, a, a gradual thing, but we don't, we don't go backwards on it. In the name of Jesus. We don't have to ask God for anything here. Hasn't God already provided it? Yeah. We, will, we walk in what we have. Glory to God. Father, we just thank you, Father, too, for the surgery that's going on tomorrow. That you give wisdom, gentleness, to all the surgeons that are, all the people that are involved in this, in this procedure, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. We thank you for it. Father, this week we're going to go out. We are here as lights for you to touch the people that we come in contact with. For some of them, we are the only Bible they will ever read. For some of them, they are, we are their only contact with God. And we want to be a positive contact. Help us, Father, this, this week to recognize those opportunities when they come and to speak your light and your love. To everyone we meet, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of the afternoon. If you are staying for the end times class, we are in Revelations chapter 6, and this is the, uh, the, the seven seal scroll has been opened, but we're actually unveiling the seven, scroll, the, the seven seals. And what that does, this gives you a great overview of what will happen in the tribulation in one chapter. We're going to get this uh, very big overview of, of uh, what's going on. So if you can hang out, Go get something for lunch if you want. Come on back here at 1 o'clock. We'll be starting at 1.